follow along with me as I read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father in heaven, this is your word. We pray that you would make it our delight. It is good, and it is true, and it is perfect. For it comes from you who are the only one who is good and true and perfect. So we praise you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We pray that you would make it our delight. Write it on our heart. And cause us to go from this place. Make it our constant meditation day and night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we talked about repeating ourselves, and uh, I'm going to repeat myself again this evening, in a sense. This morning we talked about the fact that we, when we practice the Lord's table, when we keep the Lord's Supper together, we repeat ourselves with a profound and wonderful proclamation about Christ's death and resurrection and His future coming. Tonight we're going to talk about the importance of repetition in the Word of God. That is, constantly dwelling upon the word of the Lord. This morning I alluded to 1 Timothy chapter 4. There Paul gave the instructions to Timothy to be constant in reading the word, constant in preaching the word. And he says to him, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, be in them. And the result of that will be that Timothy's progress will be evident to all. We must be in the Word. It's not something that we can learn as children and then forget. It's not like an elementary stage that we pass through, never to repeat again. Rather, it's something that we must do day by day, regularly in our lives, making it our pattern, our constant delight, our constant meditation. For to us, the Word is our life. It is in the Word, that is, that we find the one, the testimony concerning the one who is our life, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the beginning of the book of Psalms begins with these words, Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who makes the Word his constant delight. But before we get there, we receive a warning. That is, we receive three negative statements telling us what this man is not like. He is blessed because before we get to the things that he does, he refuses the way that does not lead to blessedness. You see, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Now let me paint the picture of these 
this group of people described in these three words for you. He talks about the wicked man here. And we can look through the book of Psalms and we see that the wicked are constant characters throughout the Psalms. In Psalm 7:14, we find these words, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. Again, in Psalm 10, we read, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his, the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. And so we see this picture of the wicked. And we can look at many other references, but they all come back to the same ideas. This is a person who is full of himself, full of pride. This is a person who, who makes his constant meditation evil and mischief. On his bed, he plots wickedness. This is a person who, without thinking about it, arrogantly pursues the poor to take advantage of them. We can look in our own day. We can see so many who are like this, who are more than happy to enrich themselves at the expense of those who are suffering, those who are poor. We can see many who are full of them, their, themselves, full of conceit, full of pride. Those who give birth to lies, who seem to speak in nothing but deceit. And this is a picture of the wicked man. But in all of these pictures, the one constant that we come back to again and again, which we will see here in the first psalm, is that the wicked are enemies of the Lord. They stand against Him, but worse yet, He stands against them. And thus, their way is not the way of blessedness. The blessed man refuses to walk in their counsel. In the same way, we see references to sinners throughout the Scriptures. We know that we are all sinners, but this term and this context refers to those who pursue their sin as their constant de desire. Their delight is not in the law of the Lord. Their delight is in their sin. We see a vivid picture of it in Genesis 13 with the men of Sodom. There in Genesis 13, 13, we read, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And we know the kind of behaviors in which they engaged, the kind of things that they did. And again, as with the wicked, the Lord stands against them. Thus they are not blessed, for the Lord is against them. The man is blessed who refuses to stand in their way. We see also the scoffers. This is a word that we see frequently in the book of Proverbs. It's the opposite of the one who is wise. The one who is a scoffer is a fool. He's a mocker. He's a laugher. And in Proverbs we read in Proverbs 1.22, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Again in Proverbs 15, verse 12, we read, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. And in every reference as we discover what the scoffer is like, we find that he's a man who thinks he knows it all. He's a person who thinks he has all the answers. He cannot be taught. He cannot be corrected. He cannot be rebuked. But he laughs at those who have true knowledge. 
He laughs at those who would teach him or would reprove him. And therefore, in Proverbs, we find that the wise man does not try to correct him, knowing that he'll only get abuse from that scoffer. Those who ultimately mocked the Lord on the cross, those who we read about in Psalm 22, those who we hear saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. They are the quintessential example of what a scoffer is. And this, too, is a person who is not blessed, and their way will not be blessed, because the Lord stands against them. And so the Psalms begin with this warning. The man is blessed who rejects this way. And yet so easily we would walk in it. You see the pattern, the progression that occurs in this first verse. It goes from walking to standing to sitting. It goes from counsel to a way to a seat. It goes from one who is a disciple to one who is an instructor. That the person who begins to entertain the counsel of the wicked, who begins to listen to them, who begins to be instructed by them, eventually that person progresses to regularly being in their way, going and standing where it is that they frequent. You can imagine an ancient city where people would gather at the gates. Someone might sit at the gates and others might come and listen to that person speak. And you could imagine that there's a wicked man who holds sway in this particular city. And someone might come and listen to his counsel for a little bit. And this man is advising that you should take advantage of people in order to enrich yourself. You should mistreat people if it helps you to get ahead. And at first, this person simply walks by and listens to this counsel. But soon enough, this person goes back day after day and stands in his way and waits there. And soon enough, that person takes his seat in that city gate, and he becomes the one instructing others. In the thought of many, this is a way to acquire blessedness. If we only count blessedness according to the standards of this life and this world. We see a picture of this in Proverbs chapter 1. In Proverbs 1, we find the way of, we, we, we find a warning in verse 8 not to frequent this way, and we learn what it, uh, what it all leads to. There Solomon, the son of David, writes, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. These wicked men, these sinners, these scoffers would invite us to partake in their wicked manner of life, saying it will enrich us, it will lead to blessedness, it will make you great, 
You'll have power or wealth or whatever it is you desire. And Solomon, in all his wisdom, warns his son, don't listen to their call. Don't go their way. It doesn't ultimately lead to blessedness, we must remember. But rather, they are like fools who spread a net, who dig a pit, and then walk into the trap that they have laid. That is the ultimate end of the wicked. And we'll see that same thing in Psalm chapter 1. The blessed man rejects their way, but instead, the, the alternate option available to us is to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. The one who is blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He delights in God's instruction. This word, the law, could be translated destruction. Excuse me, instruction. The word Torah in Hebrew. It can refer to the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. It can refer to specific commands. It can refer to all that God has spoken. And we can use it in this way and recognize that the one who is blessed is the one who doesn't just delight in parts of it, but finds in this entire book, in all that God has said, his ever-present delight. The one who rejoices in the truth and the treasure that he finds herein. That is the man who finds blessedness. He meditates on it day and night. If you loved something, you would not approach it dutifully. You would not simply open it up in the morning and read it and forget about it. Check your checklist and say, well, I did that duty for the day, like washing the dishes or mowing the lawn. These things that we do out of duty, but few of us enjoy. But you would come to it and read it and desire to know it, desire to understand it, and desire to have it implanted deep within your soul. The idea of meditating on it day and night is like one who goes about muttering to himself, muttering these words, thinking about it, speaking the words of Scripture to himself in the quiet moments of the day. I had a professor who grew up in rural Arkansas, and he talked about his parents who uh, lived at a time, I would say, a hundred years ago, and they, were, they worked on a farm, and he said that most of the week, they didn't see another soul as they were farming. On Sunday, they'd see their members of their church, but the rest of the week, the only human sound that his mother would hear is the sound of her husband coming in from the fields, singing as he came. And you can imagine that picture. This, this man described his parents as people who, they didn't know a lot about the world, but they knew the Word of God. And they spoke it to themselves, and as she listened and she heard her husband coming in from the fields, he'd be singing a hymn, or he'd be quoting some passage of Scripture that he had memorized. It was a picture of a man who delighted in the Word of God, a man who made it his constant meditation, even as he was harvesting the crops, even as he was doing his daily work. The thing that he loved was the Word of God. And that's a picture of blessedness. It's a beautiful picture of a good life. But the world would say, that's not the good life. The good life is found in all the things that you can have, all your possessions and all the riches that you can acquire and the fame that you might desire. That's not truly the good life. It doesn't ultimately lead to blessedness. Blessedness is found in the word of the Lord. 
as we come to it, and as we find communion with God Himself through His Word, you see. What is this man like? The psalmist gives us a beautiful and vivid picture of what this man is like. He is like a tree. Not just any tree, but he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And we see that this tree is fruitful in its season. We see that this tree has leaves that do not wither. We see that this man prospers in all he does. Because he is like that tree. It's not something, it's not like a tree where someone might come and water it from time to time. It's planted where it has ready access to water all of the time. And in this image, the Word of God is the water, that living water. And we ought to be like that tree, dwelling by it, regularly taking it in, regularly thinking on it, meditating on it day and night. And we will be like that tree. We will be fruitful in, it, in our time as God produces through His Word, fruit in our lives. Now that fruit may not be recognizable to the world. Our prosperity, if we are like this tree, may not be something that the world understands. They will look at us and they will say, they're a strange people. They're an unusual people. They don't seem to prosper in the way that we measure prosperity. But we must remember so many who have gone before us. For example... In Joshua chapter 1, remember the way in which Joshua was encouraged by the Lord. In verse 8, the Lord said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, be a man who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. What does he promise him if he does that? He says, But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If Joshua would delight himself in the Lord and meditate on his word and make the book of the law his constant meditation, God promises that he will be with him. And if God is with him, he knows that he must prosper in all that God commands him to do. But we are not commanded to conquer a land the way that Joshua was commanded to conquer. And so our prosperity might be quite different. The Lord has commanded us rather to endure times of difficulty, endure hardship. And yet we can endure those things knowing that the Lord is still with us and he will prosper us in it and through it if we trust him. The way we demonstrate that we trust Him, the way that we demonstrate we believe in Him is by delighting ourselves in His Word and meditating on it day and night and coming to it not as a duty, not as a work that we perform in order to merit His favor, but because it is our love, because we love the One who spoke this Word into existence. We will be like that tree and we'll, we will be prosperous. There's another example that I want to look to. Jesus, who himself delighted him in the word of his Father. And he, too, was prosperous in all that he did. But he is the opposite example of one whose prosperity would not be recognized by the world. 
Joshua's prosperity would have been clear. We can look back in history and say, indeed, he conquered that land that God had promised. But in Isaiah 53, we see a different picture of prosperity. In Isaiah 53, we see this in verse 10 and onward. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There we see a picture of Christ and his blessedness. But his blessedness came through a cross. He suffered for the sins of many. But in suffering, he was committing himself to do all that God had commanded him. He committed himself to do the will of the Lord, what God had spoken so many years before through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. When Christ went to the cross, he performed every word that God had spoken of him because he delighted in the Lord and he meditated upon his word. And so he went to the cross and Isaiah could look forward to that day and say, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Because in going to the cross, a thing that the world looks at and says is not prosperity, is not blessedness. He made many to be accounted as righteous. He made many right with God. And so, with so many words that indicate his prosperity, Isaiah says he shall see his offspring, as though to say he shall see his children, that is his spiritual offspring, those who by faith become sons and daughters of the living God. He shall prolong his days, Isaiah says, looking forward to the resurrection and the fact that Christ would rise, that he would reign forever, eternally never to die again that he would make many to enjoy that same life, that eternal life that is found only in him. He is the perfect example of one who applied the words of Psalm 1 and recognized that indeed the one who commits himself to the word of the Lord indeed is blessed. So we have a beautiful example of one who internalized the truth that we see here in Psalm 1. He was like a tree. He is like a tree. One planted by streams of water. One that is fruitful beyond measure. And all that he did prospered in his hands exactly as he intended it. For he did the will of the Lord. And the Lord prospered him. The wicked are not this way. They can't understand it. They cannot see it. And the reason they cannot see it is because they do not look ahead that is the characteristic mark of a fool. A fool is one who does not look ahead and think about what may come his way. He thinks only about the here and now. That is why the wicked in Proverbs were described as those who set a net, those who dig a pit and then walk right into it. They don't look where they're going. They just act in accordance 
with all of their wicked desires. And so instead of being like a tree, the wicked are like chaff. The Hebrew word for tree is eitz. The Hebrew word for chaff is motz. You see how they sound so similar. And even as we think about what chaff is, the, uh, the waste from the, after the wheat harvest, just what you throw away, what the wind drives away, you see you have two plants here. But one is strong and one is steady. And the chaff comes from a plant, but it's just a byproduct that's meant to be discarded and thrown away, something that's easily consumed in fire. And that's what the wicked are like. They're just driven away by the wind. They have no root in themselves. And ultimately, in this image of the wicked, the psalmist is looking forward to the day of judgment. For a day of judgment will surely come, and the wicked does not look ahead and see it. He doesn't look to the end of the road. He just goes on his way, thinking everything will be all right. But ultimately, there is a judgment. There is a congregation of the righteous. The Lord will be in their midst, and the wicked will not stand in it. Here, the psalmist, just as we see in the book of Revelation, looks forward to a day when God will gather all his people from every place and every time, and they will be a great innumerable multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation standing around the throne and singing his praises. We find that vision of a righteous congregation in Revelation 7. But in Revelation 6, immediately before we see that picture of that great congregation, we see the pouring out of many judgments upon the people of the earth as seven seals are being opened by the Lord Jesus Christ. And each seal opens up a different judgment that is poured out upon the earth. And at the end of chapter 6, we see in verse 15 that the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And then John writes these words in verse 17, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Already here in the Psalms, we see the psalmist pointing forward to that day, saying of the wicked, they will not stand on that day in that congregation. But then in Revelation 7, we see that congregation. They are the ones standing around the throne, worshiping the Lord forever and ever. Is that not a picture of blessedness? And that's the way that the word of the Lord leads us unto that blessed life, one that lasts forever and ever. Even if in this life we experience a bit of suffering, just as our Lord himself went to the cross and experienced suffering on our behalf, but only for a moment, only for a time, so that he might bring us with him into his own blessedness. The wicked don't look ahead and see this day. And so they walk into the trap that they have laid for themselves. But the Lord, He knows the way of the righteous. He invites us into that way by calling us to make His Word our constant delight and to make it our meditation. This morning, if you were with us in Sunday school, we looked at Genesis 3.15. We talked about the curse and we talked about happened to Adam and Eve when they were put out of the garden. They were put out of the garden because their sin, 
they were prevented from taking of the tree of life so that they would not find eternal life apart from the Lord. And yet here in Psalm 1, the psalmist infuses this passage with imagery from that day, from the, that creation that is, from the garden. We see a tree that is fruitful. We see streams of water, just as there were rivers that flowed out of Eden. But here the source of life is not a tree with wonderful fruit, but the source of life is the God of life Himself, which He imparts to us through His Word. And so the psalmist is inviting us to find life outside the garden. You see, he's showing us the solution to the problem that we found in Genesis 3, the problem of the curse. The solution is found in the Lord Himself as we come to Him through His Holy Word. We'll close with this invitation. We see it in John chapter 6. This morning also in the sermon we talked about the feedings of the multitudes, the miraculous feedings that Jesus accomplished, whereby He showed His power and His goodness and His gracious provision. And John tells us about that multitude, and that feeding as well. But afterward, the crowds came to find Jesus again in John chapter 6. But they came to Him looking for another free meal, another handout. And Jesus, recognizing this, invited them rather to consider the better bread that he had to offer. The bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He invited them to come to him for that which they most needed. Not to just look for one meal after another. Not one free handout after another. But rather to come to him knowing that the one who eats of Christ, the one who drinks of him, will never hunger and thirst again. Not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. And people didn't like that message. It wasn't the blessedness that they wanted. They just wanted another free meal. And so they left him and they said, this is a hard thing. And so at the end of John 6 and verse 66 we read, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Who is the blessed man? He's the one who meditates on the word of the Lord. But ultimately, if that doesn't lead him to Christ, to accept Christ as the one who is the incarnate word of the Lord, then he has not truly understood the word. He has not truly made it his meditation. The blessed man then ultimately is the one who comes to the living word of God, to Christ himself, and fixes his eyes on him in faith, and trusts him, and says like Peter, where else can we go? For you, O Lord, you have the words of life. So let us be those who find blessedness, not in the things of this world, not in riches, not in power, not in fame or worldly glory. Let us be those who find blessedness in the one who perfectly lived and obeyed the word of the Lord, the one who indeed is the incarnate word of the Lord, the one who has life in himself, 
who gives life to all who believe in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, O Lord, are the God of the living. We believe it. We trust that you are the one who raises the dead, that you are the one who gives life where there is no life. You are the one who gives children to the barren woman. You are the one who time and time again has shown yourself to be the God who blesses those who trust him. Most of all, you are the God who raised our Lord, your Son, from the grave so that all who trust in him might have eternal life forever and ever. Father, we believe it and we trust it and we pray that you would make us to meditate upon these truths, meditate on the person of your Son forever and ever, day and night, for all our days, until you gather us home into your kingdom, whether we should die or whether we should be alive when your Son returns. We look forward to that day when we will be gathered around the heavenly throne and praising the Lamb who was slain for us. We look to that day in faith and ask that you, O Lord, would make us faithful. Make us to be like the blessed man that we saw in Psalm chapter 1. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.